I, I would not be surprised if more copies of Sarah Palin's book sell than will ever be sold through the, the, the services under the settlement, just because of the kind of books we're talking about. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from a finally sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from the former Democratic stronghold of Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also a blog called Media Law. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com forward slash law. And Clio is a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Craig, uh, our show last week on the Google Books settlement was way too short and we had way too much to cover. Uh, We really just scratched the surface on this controversial and complex topic, so we decided to pick it up again this week. Uh, Last week, we talked about the settlement and how it would impact authors and also uh, talked about what Judge Denny Chen uh, might do with regard to... uh, uh, the issue which is now before him of uh, approval of the proposed settlement. Well, in Bob, in part two, we're going to look at the bigger and deeper legal issues from privacy, copyright, and antitrust perspectives, who in the settlement ultimately can benefit or who's going to get hurt, and whether consumers are better off with or without the settlement. Back with us this week is uh, a returning guest, attorney Jonathan Band. Uh, Jonathan helps shape the laws governing intellectual property and the internet through a combination of legislative and appellate advocacy. He has represented clients with respect to the drafting of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, database protection legislation, the Uniform Computer Information Transactions Act, and other federal and state statutes relating to intellectual property and the internet. Jonathan is also an adjunct professor at the Georgetown University Law Center and has written extensively on intellectual property and the internet, including the book Interfaces on Trial and more than 60 published articles. For more information on Jonathan, you can go to policybandwidth.com. And he's also uh, recently developed uh, a diagram. I'm not sure if this is up on his website. uh, Simplifying, uh, maybe that's not the right word, the settlement uh, or perhaps depicting it as a kind of March Madness, uh, uh, and uh, he can tell us where to find that. But Jonathan, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. Thank you very much for having me. Bob, our next guest is attorney Cindy Cohn. She's the legal director for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, as well as its general counsel. She's responsible for overseeing the EFF overall legal strategy and supervising EFF's 11 staff attorneys and fellows. Ms. Cohn represents a coalition of authors and publishers, including bestsellers Michael Chabon, uh, Jonathan Lethem, and technical author Bruce Schirner in an urging a federal judge to reject the proposed settlement in a lawsuit over the Google Book search, arguing that the sweeping agreement to digitize millions of books ignores critical privacy rights for readers and writers. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Cindy Cohn. Thank you. 
And before we get started, I should probably disclose to our listeners that the EFF and I have worked together on an appeal, uh, but it is not related to this matter. Well, uh, Cindy, let's start off uh, by giving us a, a quick recap of, of your lawsuit and uh, the allegations in it and, and how you see it, how it fits into the overall Google Book settlement. Well, um, you know, one of the things that we were concerned about when we saw the Google Book settlement was that um, it is completely silent about the privacy of readers. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that we know from our history at EFF is we have a founding principle, which is architecture is policy, which means that um, if you really want to have a policy, um, a technology reflect a, a, a policy, um, you need to build it in um, from the very beginning. You can't tack on uh, privacy or, um, you know, uh, security stuff at the end. I mean, ask Microsoft about how hard it is to to you know, tax security onto a fundamentally insecure system like Windows. So when the Google Books settlement um, was announced and it contained extremely detailed kind of descriptions of how these um, these um, products that Google's going to make, these services, would um, function, um, it, and the, the lack of discussion of privacy really concerned us because we knew that if we didn't get in early, um, there were chances that there was going to be privacy protection in this system uh, w- would go way down. So we started working I worked in coalition here with the American Civil Liberties Union um, and the Samuelson Clinic at UC Berkeley um, to to think about what privacy might look like in these kinds of systems and we actually engaged in pretty extensive discussions with the folks at Google about this and unfortunately reached an impasse where they they were not willing to to really do too much they they ultimately did finally issue a privacy policy for Google Books, but it's pretty um, hand-wavy and and not very specific. Um, So we put together a coalition of authors, um, including, you know, as you mentioned, Michael Chabon and Jonathan Leesom. Um, and, um, and, and, and many others, um, who, to, to basically object to the settlement on the grounds that, um, by failing to protect the privacy of readers, they were going to create a chilling effect on the reading of their works. And it's a pretty straightforward analysis. If, if readers are freaked out and feel like they're being tracked, uh, for reading um, materials, they're going to read less and they're going to read more carefully. And you know, all of the authors in my list have written things that, you know, for one group or another, you know, might appear to be um, transgressive. And so um, their their view was that the the plaintiffs in this case um, didn't, you know, negotiate something that was tremendously important for them to maintain a strong readership um, in the Google Books world. Um, so that was the objection we filed. Several other groups filed privacy objections as well. Um, and they're part of the mix of things that Judge Chin has to think about um, as he decides whether to approve the settlement. Cindy, what exactly is it that you're, you were asking Google to do with respect to, to privacy? Well, we had several policy things we wanted to do and several technology things. I think the two most important and the ones that I mentioned to Judge Chin when, when I was in front of him, um, you know, a few weeks ago is, you know, what we, the first thing we want is we want to make sure that Google requires a warrant or a court order before handing over reader information to governmental entities or, you know, civil parties and a civil subpoena. Um, this is something that bookstores and libraries have fought for um, across the country. Um, but And there are actually library privacy rules um, in most of the states of this country, but 
they they don't clearly fit Google because Google's not a public library, and, and for one reason or another, I mean, they just weren't written um, with Google in mind. And so what we wanted Google to do first was to step up and maintain the standards of privacy in reading uh, vis-a-vis government and uh, private parties uh, that, you know, real-world bookstores and libraries um, have maintained, and Google wasn't willing to do that. They wanted to kind of pick and choose whose privacy they were going to protect if, if the government came knocking, and, and that wasn't uh, wasn't good for us. Um, the second thing we wanted to do, you know, the nature was we wanted them to have um, a, a, a data retention policy that was um, required them to delete the information that they gather uh, much more quickly than Google normally does. And we asked them to to delete their logs after um, 30 days. Um, Now, Google actually does delete logs quickly for a couple of its products. Google Health, where you can keep your medical information, deletes logs after just two weeks. Um, And its location privacy service called Latitude actually deletes your your information very quickly because it overwrites as you move. um, So it doesn't keep a history of where you've been. So those, those two products we thought were a good example of a situation where Google's recognized that, um, you know, it's not good for it to just gather all this information about people and keep it forever. And we said, well, you know, what you read is one of those things that should be in that special category where nobody's keeping a permanent record of everything you've ever read. Um, and in the case of Google Books, it's not just what you've read. It's what you've searched for and didn't read. It's what you, you know, kind of pulled off the stacks and put back into the stacks. Um, after you buy um, a book, um, you know, buy access to a book on Google, they're going to know every page you read. They're going to know how much you read it. They're going to know everything you do after you do it. And, you know, literally a a library would have to hire somebody to follow you around through the stacks and then into your home to have the level of knowledge of your reading that Google's going to have just by nature of what they did. So they're doing. And so, you know, what we said was, you know, you're going to get this information um, and we certainly want to limit what you get in certain ways. But the main thing we want you to do is just get rid of it right away. Um, so those were the two things. There's a there's a whole list of things that um, in our brief um, and on our website that we asked them for. Um, actually, the Center for Democracy and Technology did a study of Google Books, and, and they came up with pretty much the same list we did. Um, and I think that's kind of telling that you've got two independent privacy organizations that, that take a look at this and come up with essentially the same list. And frankly, the libraries that John Band works with um, were also similarly concerned about this and I think came up with a pretty similar list of things as well. Well, so you know, Google's getting a pretty clear message from people who you know professionally think about privacy, about what they need to do for this service, and we just need them to step up and do it. So all of this is now in in the hands of Judge Chin, Jonathan. You've you know you've charted this out. I mean, this case raises issues as, as we've just talked of privacy. We talked last week about antitrust, about copyright. What are Judge Chin's options here, and and what happens if he rejects a settlement? Well, uh, Judge Chin has, in essence, two basic options. Uh, He can approve the settlement, or he can reject the settlement. Uh, So, obviously, if he approves the settlement, uh, then uh, one can expect... uh, disgruntled class members, meaning class members who oppose the settlement, you can expect them to appeal uh, approval of the settlement, and then it will go on up to the Second Circuit, and then um, uh, at that point it gets, of course, unpredictable what, what the Second Circuit will do. Now, with respect, if if, if Judge Chin decides to reject the settlement, uh, here, too, you can sort of imagine two scenarios. One scenario would be 
that he would say, look, this this settlement is unfixable. Uh, it is uh, just goes way beyond what is permitted by Rule 23. It is anti-competitive, and and uh, nothing can be done. It can't be saved. Another option is he can say, you know what? I think the settlement in its current form is very problematic, but uh, I can imagine if you do X, Y, and Z, uh, then I, I would approve it, uh, or I would consider approving it. Uh, and and uh, at that point, he can't force the parties to accept the modifications, but of course he can say, look, I will not approve it unless you make these changes. And the parties then, if, if that is what is offered to them, uh, would have the ability to to sit down and and try to negotiate uh, modifications along the lines of what uh, Judge Chin recommends. Uh, now, on, on the other hand, if 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 Judge Chin just says no, no way, no how, then uh, the litigation resumes. Uh, if if he says, okay, make these modifications, and they make the modifications, then you would have to have the the uh, he'd have to go back before Judge Chin and and get his approval. Uh, uh, and, and again, even if that's approved, it, it could it could go up on appeal. Now, uh, it, the the question then would be, what uh, what kind of modifications would Chin likely uh, require? And and again, you can come up with. Uh, dozens and dozens of different scenarios because so many different uh, issues were raised. Uh, I would imagine if if that is the approach Chin is taking of of, of proposing modifications, he might he might go along the line. I think the most likely uh, route on on that approach would be for uh, him to follow the suggestions of the Justice Department. Uh, which, in essence, would mean a much skinnier settlement. In other words, a settlement that would allow, simply allow Google to continue to scan uh, the, the works and to display snippets, uh, but all the other uh, display services that the uh, settlement currently contemplates uh, of uh, full-text displays, full-text purchases, uh, by consumers, uh, the institutional subscription by libraries, that those enhanced uh, displays would would in essence be out of the settlement. So that 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 is, if the if the judge goes that way, that's the most likely outcome. One, one other thing, the wild card here that I, that I just want to mention very quickly is that uh, Judge Chin has been nominated by President Obama to the Second Circuit. And so if uh, he is confirmed prior to issuing a decision, conceivably the whole case starts all over again. So uh, that is a wild card. Uh, I don't think the, 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 the Republicans in the Senate are likely to allow him to be confirmed anytime soon, but, but that's something that's always looming out there. And if he gets confirmed before he issues the decision, uh, things start over. How does this... Situation affect people, and in particular, the National Federation for the Blind. They've come out in support of the settlement. Uh, obviously, it's going to provide a lot more access. Um, digitized books can be read on computers. 
Um, Cindy, do you have any impressions on that? Well, I mean, there were a lot of um, representatives from the National Federation for the Blind at the hearing. And, um, you know, I think for them, I, I mean, I, I understand why they're supportive of the settlement. And um, it's, it, it is a tremendous opportunity for them. Frankly, it's an opportunity that they shouldn't have had to, you know, they shouldn't have had to even do. I mean, if Amazon actually stood up to the, the publishers and said, look, we're going to turn on text-to-speech on all of our books... Um, and, you know, other people, you know, the, I mean, copyright law has been the thing that's been in the way of, of getting text-to-speech working on so many books. Um, it, it, you know, there's lots of other ways to solve what the National Federation of the Blind's problem is, which is there just are not enough books that are available uh, for the blind to read. Um, but I don't blame them for supporting this. I mean, Google is really digitizing um, a, a large number of books, um, and all of them are going to be available in text-to-speech and other kinds of formats that are are useful for the blind, and I think it's just one of the wonderful things um, that that can come out of you know what Google's trying to do here. Um, but it it doesn't necessarily have to be just Google. I mean, one of you know there's other entities that have been trying to digitize um, lots and lots of books, and they, that you know that they've all run into the same kind of problem with how copyright law really doesn't um, doesn't work um, for. In, in, in these areas. Um, so while it's great that Google's doing this and making it available, you know, Google isn't the only way that these books, you know, ought to be able to be made available to, to blind folks. We ought to be able to have multiple play- people who can do mass scanning of books and make them available. As a practical matter in our world right today, Google is their best chance for doing that quickly. And, and that's why I say I don't blame them uh, for being supportive of this, but it's it's really kind of a, a side effect of of a broken system um, that 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 they end up having to feel like this particular way is the only way that they're going to see in their lifetimes. Among the uh, parties that appeared at the hearing to oppose the settlement uh, was the U.S. Justice Department, which raised the antitrust issues. Uh, you know, and even outside the the strictures of, of perhaps strict antitrust law, uh, it seems that the the, the implications uh, of this settlement uh, would be momentous for uh, you know the way we share and store uh, literature and, and information. Uh, you know, I don't think either of you are, are necessarily antitrust lawyers, but I wonder what your your take is just on this this broad question of 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 giving Google control over these vast libraries of uh, of literature. Well, so that, that's a like every issue involving the settlement. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a glass half empty, glass half full, or there's 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 four sides to the issue. So uh, on, on this issue. I think it's important to remember that the settlement, for a, as a practical matter, is applying to the out-of-print books. Now, to be sure, that is most of the books that uh, are now in existence. So, if you imagine, let's say there's, you know, let's say, say, 30 million books in existence, uh, probably at most 10 million, almost 10 percent, or 3 million are in print, and so this is dealing with. The rest now, of course, of those that are out of print, a lot are some are a certain percentage are in the public domain. So we're maybe talking about let's say 20 million books that are in copyright, uh, but out of print. And so that's a lot of books, certainly relative to the number of books that are in print. Let's say the three million that are in print. However, 
two things to bear in mind. One is that uh, the, 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 the settlement applies only for books, again, that, that are now in existence, not to books that will come into existence in the future. And so the three million books in print presumably will get larger over time. Moreover, the three million books in print are, in essence, that's the, the, the world that, of the universe of books that people right now are purchasing and using in any, to any degree. Uh, the other 20 million that are in print, but, uh, that, are, that are in copyright but out of print, I mean, they are sitting in, again, we're talking, these are, re- these are books, these would be books in research libraries, but they're books generally that have uh, relatively, you know, relatively little circulation. Even in libraries, uh, the the books that are circulated are typically the books in print, not the books. The books that are out of print, the the circulation rate is extremely low. So what that means is, yes, it is. We're talking about 20 million books. We're talking about the majority of books that now exist. But the the in terms of the the books that are used, the books that are sold, this will be uh, a tiny, tiny percentage relative to the books that are in print. And so um, uh, I, I would not be surprised if more copies of Sarah Palin's book sell than will ever be sold through the, the, the services under the settlement, just because of the kind of books we're talking about. And so... If you're saying, you know, what's what's the future of, of books, the future of the book industry? Well, the future of books and the future of book industry, the book industry is largely going to be books that are coming in the future, right? That that, that are going to be books in print, not this legacy issue. Um, and and you know, Amazon, for example, has something like seventy percent of the retail market for books in print. And and uh, uh, that market is going to be again in terms of if you look at how what are, what are the sales going to be in the future that market is always going to be uh, at least ninety percent or ninety five percent of the total market that this this market for the out of print books is always going to be just a fraction of the market for in print books so yes it's a lot of books. And yes, Google will have control over the digital distribution of those books, but that's going to really be a small fraction of what the market really effectively is. One additional point is uh, that the, the, the books, the, the hard copies of the books in the libraries, they aren't going anywhere. And that if someone else were to try to offer this kind of service, meaning if Microsoft decided to start the service that it abandoned, uh, nothing is stopping it from doing so other than the basic problem that Cindy alluded to, which is the copyright line, figuring out how to get past that. Um, or if in the future there is orphan works legislation, uh, you could have a consortium of libraries doing that, again, assuming you have legislation and assuming you have, have funding. So the, the point is the books aren't going anywhere. The books, and so you always have to say here, relative to what? And so if you compare, right now you have all these books that are gathering dust, that are not accessible to the blind, that are not really accessible to anyone other than uh, a student or a faculty member who 
goes to the institution where that those books are. Uh, that's the status quo now, and that is that. That's the likely status quo for the foreseeable future. I mean, the likelihood of legislation, I think, is. I mean, the likelihood. I think. I think we're far more likely to adopt uh, a single payer healthcare system than we are uh, to, to have legislation that would allow the digitization, mass digitization of these books. Jonathan and Cindy, we need to interrupt and take a short break. When we return, we'll talk more about the Google Books settlement with attorney Jonathan Band and attorney Cindy Kahn. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are back with our guests, Attorney Jonathan Band. And Attorney Cindy Cohn, Legal Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And we're talking about the uh, Google Books settlement, the proposed settlement, uh, and what it might mean for privacy, intellectual property, antitrust, and and all sorts of other considerations. Cindy, where does this, uh, the, the, where does Google Books fit in with uh, the, the rest of the data Google is tracking uh, uh, out there, I mean, how concerned, how much of a privacy issue does this raise beyond simply the matter of what people might be reading? Well, I think that, you know, as Google kind of amasses more and more information about our lives, people are, I think, rightfully becoming more and more concerned. I mean, one of the things that Google did agree to do as part of the pressure that we and, and others put on them is to say that the information about your reading um, won't be combined with other information that Google has about you unless you opt in. Um, now, we'd like a better solution than that um, because I think that, you know, for, for most people, um, you know, they're they're already in. They've got a Gmail account. They've got other stuff with Google, and, and, and I think it's an easy thing to miss um, and, and just have this information, you know, part of the big dossiers that Google is creating on all of us. 
um, and and using for for you know its business model. Um, I, I like to call this the surveillance business model. So I, <laughs> I think it's troubling that that Google you know is, is that all of this information is ending up in one in one place. Um, to their credit, Google is actually joining with us and and a bunch of other organizations to try to fix a couple of the federal privacy laws that. Um, 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 involving government access to this information to make it a little harder. Um, so that's good, but I think I think there is, you know, there. I think you'd, you'd be a little crazy if you didn't think there was a problem with all of this information about your day-to-day activities being in the hands of of one company that 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 has a, a business interest in in trying to to market that information for for purposes and can be subject to other kinds of. Of pressures, um, you know, uh, from government and, and foreign governments and other things. So far, I think Google has done, uh, you know, a, a fairly reasonable job of not giving information about people's activities to others, um, but a, a very bad job about not keeping it for themselves. So, so they suck in a whole lot of information. I think they're not they're not so so bad in terms of letting other people um, have that information, but they want it all. And I think that in and of itself is something we, we continue we need to continue to watch um, as as a country um, and 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 have you know face some hard questions about how how much of this we want to know. Remember, Google runs an ad network uh, called DoubleClick um, that you know not only tracks you for what you do on Google sites, but you know you can most many people can spend their whole day um, online and never leave a site that isn't being tracked by. Um, by you know one of the Google products, um, so it's 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 ubiquitous at this point. I think it's very close to ubiquitous, and I think it is time that we as a as a kind of as a nation and maybe as a world begin to think about whether that's okay with us. I think we're starting to hear a lot of noise out of Europe that this isn't okay for Europeans, um, and it's it's kind of funny that uh, that the U.S. is really kind of lagging behind in terms of, of of thinking about this. And you know, there's some historical reasons why I think Europeans are more sensitive to the idea that, you know, one person being able to track them, you know, whether it's government or non-government, as, as something that, that they, they really don't want to build a world in which it's that easy. Um, but, but in America, we, we haven't seen all that much yet, and, and it's, it is troubling. Uh, one one just if I just may, I mean, the, the thing to remember about all this, uh, uh, and, and certainly now we're talking about sort of like the larger privacy issue, um, and and I think it's important to to recognize that this this the, the the book part or the settlement part would really is in that respect is a subset of this much much broader issue. Uh, again, in terms of the amount of information that Google or anyone else is collecting on you, that that, that there's far more of that than would ever be collected relative to, to through this in a matter related to the to the book settlement, but. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, part of the trade-off here, and again, we're all everything here is a matter of trade-offs, and this is a question of what trade-offs are we willing to make. Uh, we are talking here in in the search world about free services, uh, and but of course, nothing is free. The only reason Google is able to make search available for free, or Gmail available to, for free, or Google Earth is because of its business model, and, and it's an ad-based business model, and that's. Uh, that is the that that's the way it's uh, structured. If you wanted to have a a system that where you had to pay for every search, uh, one could certainly come up with that system. But uh, and and then no no information would be gathered about you, and there would be no advertising. And 
that's certainly a, a business model. But I think, uh, to a large degree, uh, most Americans have voted with their feet in this sense, and, and uh, they like uh, a free service. Uh, and uh, they, they, the fact that some information is gathered doesn't bother them. Now, it could be, of course, that they aren't aware uh, yeah, I mean, what's being gathered. You know. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but that's but and 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 you know it's, I think it's important for them for everyone to be aware. But I think at the end of the day, most people will, if the choice is, do I get a free service and get advertising and targeted advertising, or do I have to pay for every search? I think most people will choose for the free service. Well, if I may, I don't think those are the only two choices. I think that's actually kind of a reductionist argument. Of, you know, we have limits on what government can and on what businesses can do in all sorts of business models, um, and uh, there's no reason to think that that there's there's no other world. That either we're completely tracked by Google, or we're going to have to pay for every search. Google's a highly profitable company, and they have several business models, and even they have chosen not to do everything they could possibly do to surveil us. So there's a lot of play in between the kind of reductionist, you know, unless you let Google track your every move, you're going to have to pay for everything online kind of argument and where we are today. And and that's where, the you know, the, sometimes you have to make hard decisions and you have to think a little tough, harder. Um, Google would like everyone to think that, that that's the only choice, but but it's not um, and, it, and it won't be. Um, and, you know, our, our job is to try to help figure out where the right balance is. Um, and, you know, I, I think John, Johnson's probably may, may not be aware of this, but there have been, you know, plenty of studies done. There was a couple of big ones out of UC Berkeley about what people think, um, you know, what they think the business model is and whether they understand about the tracking or not. And, and, and across the board, people don't understand um, how the business model works or what kind of tracking is happening and what information is being made available and to whom. And when they do find out, they're unhappy about it. So I think that the presumption that, well, people wouldn't use Google if they didn't, you know, if they uh, people using Google must think that everything Google does is okay is is not a safe assumption and and one of the first things that that EFS does um, is try to get a lot more transparency about what's going on. Um, Google's actually a little more transparent than other companies, but they're still not all that transparent. Um, they're certainly more transparent than people like Facebook, I think. But uh, but just because people are worse than you doesn't mean that you're good. Cindy and Jonathan, we're just about out of time. So at this point, we need to get your contact information and if we could, your uh, final thoughts in perhaps a sentence or two. Well, my contact, I'm, you know, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is at EFF.org. Type that into any search engine, um, and I promise you we'll be the first hit that comes up. Um, and, uh, you know, we do a range of things. We're a member-supported nonprofit, so if you think what we do is, is good, I, I'd urge people to join. We have about 13,000 members across the country. Um, and that's how I'm able to continue to do this work. Um, you know, I think that with regard to the Google Books settlement, we do we are hopeful that Judge Chin is going to require the require the parties to include some privacy um, protections for users in the settlement. We don't think that that's the kind of change that's going to end the settlement or create a situation which the parties aren't going to want to settle. Um, it's a fairly straightforward and easy thing to do. And in fact, the plaintiffs said that they agreed with us that privacy was important. So. Um, we're hopeful that the, the one of the things the judge is going to say is, you know, you guys got to fix this privacy stuff before I'm going to sign off on this. And, and we'll see if that's what happens. Uh, you can reach me at uh, policybandwidth.com. Um, 
And you can also send me an email at johnband, jband, at uh, policybandwidth.com. With respect to the settlement, uh, I think uh, all the concerns that, that Cindy has raised and that, that we talked about before, I mean, every, all the concerns are valid. I don't think there are really any invalid concerns. The question really is, what do you do about it? Uh, the, the, the basic problem here, as Cindy indicated, is private, is, is, is copyright, that copyright just puts this huge obstruction in the way of making use of these out-of-print books. And then the question is, okay, so how do we solve that problem? How do we get, how do we get past that? And what trade-offs, again, what trade-offs are we willing to make to get, to get around this enormous copyright problem? Uh, and, uh, and that's where people start to have disagreements, uh, as, as to what trade-offs are appropriate and, uh, and, and what, what is the best way to go from uh, point A to point B. Great. Well, thank you both very much. And that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Let me add uh, my thanks to Jonathan Band and Cindy Kahn for being with us today and taking the time to share their thoughts on the Google Books settlement. And a uh, reminder to our readers, we're also in the uh, on iTunes, uh, in the podcast library there. And Craig, I look forward to talking to you again next week. We'll talk to you then again, Bob, and tell you an old newspaper man since you told them they were readers, our listeners. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, also, our, our podcasts are available through the West Legal Ed Center uh, for now for CLE credit. And we'll talk to you again next week. See you then. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.